Welcome back to the KPO Podcast. I'm your host, Jagisha. Listeners, this week on the podcast, I have best-selling author Esme Symes-Smith, and we are talking about Sir Callie and the Champions of Helston, and also the new book, Sir Callie and the Dragon's Roost. So welcome Woo-hoo. to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Tell us about yourself. Yeah, um, well, my name's Esme. I live in St. Louis, which is super close to Kirkwood. And I'm originally from England, the little twilly part down southwest called Devon. And I went to school in Wales in a beautiful little seaside town. And I missed the sea desperately. Um, But I moved to Missouri, which has no ocean. But I did it for love. So it worked out. (laughs) I met my wife on Tumblr in 2012 and moved here about 10 years ago. Um, when I'm not writing, I work with infants and toddlers, just keeping them alive, basically. Um, they're very cute. It helps me touch grass. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, Callie is my debut middle grade fantasy series with Labyrinth Road, which is an imprint of Penguin Random House. Um, it's an, about a non-binary kid who wants to be a knight and all the shenanigans that they have to tackle to do that. Yes. So uh, I think this is such a great series. And I've got both books here with me. Listeners won't be able to see them, but I have both here. (laughs) Tell us more about the books. What are they about? Yeah. So like I said, they're about Callie. Um, They're a non-binary kid and they live in this very, very gendered world where boys get to be knights and girls do magic in a very safe, cautious way. Um, and they go to the capital to follow their dreams and they realize that, oh God, this world is not safe for me and it's not safe for, you know, queer folks, people who are different. Um, Helson does not like different. They're the kind of kid that is not going to sit down and just let that happen. They are going to take down the patriarchy and the system one piece at a time, starting with the chancellor. So yeah, and and they meet um, a bunch of Helston kids who have never known anything different. They're struggling in their own ways within this very oppressive, rigid system. Um, But Callie really inspires them to be like, this isn't right. So yeah, the series is all about, you know, giving kids the, the voices that they didn't have before and realizing their own power and kind of, you know, pushing them to recreate the world that is good for them, that is safe for them, um, in a way that grown-ups cannot really comprehend. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's totally not based on reality at all. Um, JK, JK. Um, yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> Dragon's Roost is about realizing that, you know, just taking down one person who is in charge of the system isn't going to fix the whole thing because, you know, the the society that this man created really upheld his beliefs. So, you know, even though he's gone, it's still not great. Um, So they realize that Helston isn't a safe place for them anymore and they leave and they really have to question the stories they've been told and, you know, the, the myth and the lore and realizing that, you know, everyone has a different reality. Everyone has a different perspective and Callie, who has always been very black and white in their morality, really has to accept that there is a lot of gray in the world in realizing what that means for them. Yes, definitely. And I mean, the parallels to our life today are, are I, I, mean, I see them throughout the book. 
Um, I know. I, I wrote um, I wrote book one during 2020, and it was kind of my 2020 rage book set in you know medieval England. And I was hoping it was going to be a retrospective, um, but then I, I came to writing book two with you know everything that's going on, especially the the demonization of queer folks and queer adults who interact with queer children, um, and realizing that oh god, this is actually very current, and I hate it. Yeah, yeah. And actually, my next question was, what was the inspiration behind the book? Um, well, it's really funny, because yeah, it was my 2020 book, but I wrote it because I wanted something that made me happy. Um, it, we just gone into quarantine. Um, I was on sub with my first book that didn't sell. Um, I wasn't working because obviously we're in quarantine and I was just going, uh, everything sucks, everything's the worst. Um, so I really wanted to delve into a story that felt like it could you know give power to the people who are powerless um because that's what I was feeling at the time um and everything else just kind of sprung out of that um I really loved you know the Tamora Pierce books and very like classic fantasy so I really wanted to work within that space um but I also wanted to be very honest about the story in a way that had me really question and tackle and recraft a lot of the old fantasy tropes that we rely on which is no no easy feat <laughs> oh yeah um, well done though very well so done thank you I appreciate it um one of the hardest things was definitely um working out how I wanted to tell a very like royal story as an anti-royalist <laughs> um yeah, my, I, I met up with someone in New York City recently and asked me, like, oh, so do you feel about the royal family? And I was like, they suck. That was terrible. And then I realized, like, oh, God, I'm writing, you know, a story about kings and queens and those sort of powers and, you know, working out how I wanted to approach that conclusion in a way that isn't just, you know, putting another king on the throne who's going to be just as bad as the last one. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's talk a little bit more about the other characters. Willow is the prince, and then there's Edwin and Elowin. So tell us more about them. I love them. Um, I definitely wanted to write a a friendship story. Uh, it's very hard. Um, I've always loved those those books that have those like very strong core kid characters. Um, and the initial the initial reason why I wanted to write this book was for Callie, Willow and Elwyn, who just kind of popped up like mushrooms out of nowhere. Um, I knew that I wanted to write about a, a queer young knight and a soft prince who stays soft and a very fierce girl. Um, so I, I had Callie, Willow and Elwyn like right from the start. Um, and one of my greatest joys in writing the series, especially is just like watching them grow, watching them go backwards, watching them go forwards and seeing where they end up at the end. And I'm so, I just finished a draft of the last book and I'm so pumped for where they end up. Um, and Edwin was not supposed to be a, a main character. Um, but of course he is because I love the, the sad boys who, you know, they're, they're really struggling with being good in a world that really doesn't encourage goodness. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to, you know, introduce him to people and as he is and watching him thrive. Um, but yeah, no, I, I love my kids and I love, I love the grownups too, except for one. <laughs> Who is your favorite character? 
Ooh, uh, probably Callie and Elowen. It's it's kind of a tie between the two of them. I just love Callie's sort of like, this is who I am and I am going to stay that way and no one is going to change me. So, because when they first arrive in Helston and they're trying, they're, they're being forced into being who they're not. And mm-hmm. I just love that they were like, nope, you're not changing me. <laughs> they're very stubborn. Yes. And actually, as I'm as I was reading the first book um, and just the whole description of Halston and, and what Callie is experiencing, I was starting to feel claustrophobic myself. I, I was just like, oh, so I think that like you've described Halston and sort of the the oppression just extremely well. Thank you. Um, it helps that England because, you know, it's, it's all based on England, is very um, cramped. Um, and when I go home, I definitely feel that in, like, just even just driving through the roads, like, they're so small, and there's, like, hedges on both sides. It, it feels very cramped and claustrophobic in a physical way, but also, like, in an emotional way, mm-hmm. especially, like, I don't have any room to breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was definitely something that I wanted to get across. Yeah, can we talk a little bit more about Helston and, and sort of the rules that uh, they're required to follow? Yeah, so Helston is physically based on Tintagel, which is um, said to be the birthplace of King Arthur with the bridge and all of that. But um, the rules were very, I, wa- I didn't want it to be too obviously extreme in the beginning. It's very um, insidious in the way that it's constructed um, it's all about, you know, these are, this is the way it has been forever. So why do we have to fix it for like some people? Um, and it's, it, it's, it's set up in a way that really benefits the people who are able to fit in. Um, mm-hmm. and I think, um, Callie's dad, Nick really embodies that the most because, you know, he's told Callie all about these wonderful stories of Halston and how it's the best place on earth. Um, and that's because, you know, he fit into the system. He was very, it treated him very, very well. So he had a, a completely different experience to, you know, Callie and Neil and the kids. Um, and I, I feel like the the system is really exemplified by the difference in those experiences. Um, because, you know, when, when it works for you, you don't question it because you don't need to. Like the people that don't fit in, they're the anomalies. Um, but actually, you know, it's it's damaging in a way that it's damaging to everyone because even the people who, who aren't like specifically badly affected, you know, they are they're still affected in the way that they're accepting this way of living um, without questioning it, which mm-hmm. is very damaging, you know, as an in an interpersonal kind of way, you know, and they don't even realize that they're being harmed by it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. So what draws you to write middle grade? And have you considered writing, say, YA or um, new adult or adult? Yeah, I didn't know I was a middle grade writer until I had been a middle grade writer for a hot second. It's really funny because you think that authors know what they're writing, but we never do. We don't know what we're doing ever. I was trying to, you know, write my books and work out what I'm doing. And I'd always... I've been the kind of reader that as a kid and a teen, I would just read anything. So it never occurred to me to like, be like, oh, you know, I'm going to read kid books. I'm going to read YA. I'm going to read adult, whatever. Uh, I just read books. Um, And especially I feel like UK publishing, it doesn't pigeonhole age categories in the way that America does. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was 
I feel like Philip Pullman is such a good example of this because I, I love those books, but like, what are they? I don't know. <laughs> like, are they kid? Like, sometimes they're kid books. They're about a kid, but they're also about like the grown-ups and the war, and it doesn't necessarily feel like a kid book a lot of time. Um, and I was just like, okay, I'm going to write like Philip Pullman, um, mm-hmm. which is not good if you're not Philip Pullman. So I really pushed back on the age categories for a while. I thought I was writing YA. Um, I thought it might, might be adult about kids, you know, like The Secret Life of Bees or whatever. And then <laughs> someone, I, I went to a, a workshop where I was workshopping a few chapters of the book that um, did not sell. And they were like, as a, it's middle grade, you're middle grade. And I was like, ah, dang it. Because... <laughs> You know, I was I was pretty pretentious at that point. I had done my degree in literature um, and creative writing where you basically only write literary fiction. Um, and I was like, I don't want to be a children's author. That's stupid. Um, and then I was like, okay, I'm going to step back and just think about it. And I realized that my best reading time was with middle grade books as a middle grade reader. And I was just like, oh, okay, this is my, this is my destiny now. Um, and Sir Callie, The Champions of Helston was the first middle grade book specifically that I wrote. And I love it. I love, love it so much. It's such a fun space to be in, you know, and you can do as much with middle grade fiction as you can with YA or adult or anything. But the thing that makes it special is that there's always going to be light at the end. There's always going to be hope. There's always that like promise that it's going to be better which is definitely a challenge for me as a grown-up being jaded um like working out how I'm going to fix this world for the kids when you know I I see the world I can't fix it but it's and but getting to talk to kids especially after the release of book one that fills me with so much hope for myself like they're so fierce they're so determined and you know they they're taking the books that Kelly books as I intended and it's giving them strength and hope and it's just we're feeding off each other and um I I feel like I would like to write something else one day but middle grade is such a delightful space to play in mm-hmm. for me um it's definitely healing for my inner child <laughs> and it, it's just so much fun I love it yeah and you know can I just say there was a section that, or there was um I guess a couple of paragraphs in in the first book in Champions of Helston where you describe Callie describes wearing wearing girl shoes and then trying mm-hmm. on boy shoes and then finding they shoes, which I just, I thought that was just so well done. It was beautiful. See, that was an analogy that someone told me about when I was realizing that I was non-binary and I was just having this. So a little segue, Callie wasn't non-binary until like the second draft. Um, and I was actually writing a scene between Callie and Elowen and Callie was just like, oh, I hate girls and I hate femininity. And I was just like realizing how much like toss toxic masculinity they were embodying and I had to sit back because Kelly is so much like me and I'm just like why are we feeling this way <laughs> why why um and then I realized that Kelly was not says Kelly was actually a non-binary kid and the reason why they're so like aggressively anti-feminist at this point is because they've been tr- being crammed into this mm-hmm. space and like you know it's so uncomfortable not that they hate what it is but it's the way that other people see them um so yeah, so I realized I was non-binary at the same time Callie did. Um, and I was just like losing my mind because, you know, what if it wasn't real? I don't know. I don't understand. I just know that I'm uncomfortable and I don't know how to not be uncomfortable. And someone like gave me the shoes analogy where like, you know, just because something fit you before, it doesn't mean you can't grow out of them. It doesn't mean, you know, you can't 
wear the same style later in a better size, it doesn't mean that you have to stay in the same uncomfortable pairs of shoes just because those are the ones you've been wearing for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And I think someone, you know, a young kid reading this is going to just be like, oh, it's like a light bulb moment for them, I think. I hope so. And like, you know, gender identity and queer identity, like, it's so fluid and it can change so easily and that's okay. But that can be scary too, because you know, you go through the whole process of like being like, okay, this is who I am and I'm not going to change for anyone. But like, you know, you are a human being change all day, every day. And mm-hmm. one of the coolest things I found talking to kids, especially like the, the queer clubs, like the queer book clubs is the way that kids approach their identity so fluidly like they change their names like they change their socks it's so cool they're always rediscovering like who they are and accepting themselves accepting each other and like that's so inspiring for me especially like writing um willow who is you know really quite not sure about who he is and you know it changes moment for moment and i love that flexibility absolutely and you know you're 12 so that's supposed to happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, everything, your body is changing and the world is changing. Your, your identity might as well be changing too. Yes, absolutely. As librarians, we've been facing a lot of book banning. Um, mm-hmm. You have especially gotten... Missouri. Yeah, especially here in Missouri. So have you gotten any pushback? I haven't yet. And I'm not entirely sure how. I think it's because a lot of people haven't read book two yet. <laughs> I feel like, you know, book one was very very safe I'm exceptionally proud of it um but it was very safe you know and we were very intentional with that especially with like the cover and the title you know we we wanted it we wanted to push it as just this regular like middle grade fantasy book but you know the people who know know with Sir Kelly and I feel like that's gone really really well I haven't had any pushback or any bigotry that I know of yet um but I'm armed if it happens and you know penguin random house is doing such a great job at like actively tackling it they i think they're suing iowa right now oh i didn't know that like the whole state of iowa um so good for them i'm very very proud to be with my publisher and my imprint i feel very you know supported if the backlash comes wow that's yeah that's amazing i did not realize that publishers are stepping up it's that's nice some publishers are so now I think there's a third book. So is that the end of the series, the three books? It's going to be four books. Oh, four. Okay. So yes. what's book so, three then? <laughs> um, book three will be coming out um, next year. And I am so excited for it. Like every every book I write, I feel like just gets better, in my opinion. Book two is a struggle, man. It was a struggle. But um, book three was when I really feel like I was able to like comfortably spread my wings Um, And I've been very, very lucky to be supported by my editor in just doing exactly what I want to do (laughs) and exactly what I need to do for the story. Um, I remember we we met up um, early last year when I was in the middle of the first draft. I was like, yeah, so right now it's like four points of view. And I was expecting her to be like, okay, but we're going to cut that down, right? And she (laughs) she didn't say that. Um, So right now, book three is um, multi-POV. And I'm, I'm stoked because I, I've always loved writing multi-POV and reading multi-POV and just playing with the voices and the experiences because like five people can experience the same thing in five different ways. And that's so exciting for me. Um, so really giving my characters their own voices to tell their own stories in book three is, uh, I'm so excited for it. 
Uh, and my cover is beautiful and I'm so stoked. And yeah, I, ju I just finished the first draft of the last book and it's, it was the most fun I've ever had writing. Yeah. And I bet it was a little sad because you got to say goodbye no, to the characters. <laughs> it wasn't. And I thought it was going to be, but it was uh -huh. just joyful. And like, it was my choice to have four books. And I feel like, you know, doing that by my own decision has made a big difference because, you know, uh, I, I don't think a lot of readers realize this, but a lot of authors don't get to finish their series, which is so scary for me. So the fact that I get to, you know, complete this story the, exactly the way I want it to with the right pacing is just, it's such a, a source of pleasure for me. Um, I thought it was going to be bittersweet, sad, but it's not. I'm just excited. Very nice. And I do say, I love the art on, on the books. I mean, this art is just gorgeous. Oh, I'm holding it up, but both of them are so far that I've... My, shout out to my artist, Kate Sheridan, who is just like the most talented human being I've ever met in my life. Um, they have just this unique way of just like pulling things out of my head that I can't explain because I'm not like a visual artist at all. I, I send them like, this like vague mock-up on Canva and like a bunch of references that I kind of like. And I just like, okay, I'm just gonna like dig right into Esme's brain and pull it out. And it's like, especially with book two, I described it and they did exactly what I asked for and it's perfect. And then book three, I'm looking at it right now. And it's, oh, it's good, it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait. So I read on your website that you've had many jobs. Uh, you've been a ghostwriter, an editor, frozen yogurt seller, and a caffeine dealer. So uh, I imagine this is like fruit for writing fiction. Uh, also, what um, is a caffeine dealer? <laughs> uh, Starbucks. I work at Starbucks. <laughs> um, the the addiction is real. But yeah, I it, it's so interesting because you know I, I grew up with my grandparents, um, and they you know that generation is all about the career, and this is mm -hmm. what you do. And like nothing ever felt right for me. Um, I knew that I wanted to write. That was pretty much the only thing I was ever good at. But that was never presented as like, you know, a lucrative career. But I knew I didn't want to get stuck in something that I didn't necessarily want to do. That wouldn't give me enough time to do other things. Um, and it definitely helped moving to America because, you know, we were back and forth between countries for a long time doing the visa thing. Um, so that was when I was doing my ghostwriting and my editing. I did it freelance. Um, and like, it was so much, it was like, it was horrible, but it was a lot of fun. And I got to explore like various genres, um, like adult werewolf stories. If you know, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> I got paid peanuts, but it was, it was a good experience. When I finally got my work visa and I could work in America, like, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I just had to grab something. And that was when I, I found the frozen yogurt job. It was a, a new store that had just opened up mint cheese. And I loved it. It was so good. And it was just, it was such a good way for me to like be embedded into America because like I came here knowing my wife and that was it. And learning how to use the money <laughs> was really hard, but really fun. You have to be peppy and on it and you have to be open and talking to people. And as an English person, we don't do that. <laughs> we don't do that in England. We don't talk to people. So that was a great way for me to kind of find my feet and then I worked at Starbucks and I loved it. And, but it was like, 
I, I started in 2019, so a year before the pandemic, and then the pandemic changed everything. And I stopped because I was feeling more like a therapist than a barista, whether it's for my, my partners on the floor or like for my customers who would come in and we would be their only point of contact in a day, mm-hmm. you know, and whatever was going on with them during the pandemic like they'd want to talk about it and I was like okay I'm gonna put my therapist hat on whilst I make your latte (laughs) and people (laughs) were just mad and I I figured if I was gonna work with people who acted like children it might as well be children so that was when I moved to the daycare so now I look after infants and toddlers and I love it I love it so much I've really worked there for three years and honestly I haven't had a day where I haven't loved it that is because I work part-time I do my my authorness like eight to twelve in the morning, and then I go to work twelve to six. So I have a good balance. Nice, nice. So tell us about your process. Um, are you a intuitive writer or plotter? So every book is different, and that was one thing that really stressed me out. I remember I was working on book two and just being like, I should know what I'm doing by now. And I don't, this is horrible. Um, But I've kind of accepted that kind of neurospicy part of myself now. So, you know, some books need more plotting. Some books need more consideration. Other books, you can just like type, type, type. I really enjoy NaNoWriMo. Have you heard Mm -hmm. of it? Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, National Novel Writing Month, for those who don't know. And it's basically where you write 50,000 words in... 30 days I've been doing that on and off since 2013 and sometimes it's good sometimes it's not but for book four I did NaNoWriMo and I just blasted out a draft I, th- I think my official process is just get that first draft down because I can labor over it for like months and months but you know it's it's revisions where the real work comes in so getting that sand in the sandbox <laughs> really mm-hmm. helps before you try and make it pretty but yeah, my, my process is very ADHD and it changes day to day. I just have to do what I can to get the words down. And that's basically it. Well, I'm so glad you're getting the words down. <laughs> uh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So last question that we ask all of our authors is, um, what do you recommend or what are you reading right now? Yeah. Um, so I want to do a big shout out to Ash Van Odeloo, um, who is the author of um, a Beautiful Something Else, Caddy Wampus, and A Touch of Ruckus. They're writing really beautiful, queer, spooky, Appalachian middle grade right now. Um, and they're just the most beautiful books ever, especially The Beautiful Something Else. It was like, it was transcendent. It felt like reading a piece of Ash's soul, which was really cool. Um, what else am I reading? I love Shad Hadid, the series by George Dredge. He's also a local St. Louis author. And it's a beautiful fantasy series. Like if you like liked Harry Potter, but are looking for something a little more good, um, <laughs> that will be the <laughs> series for you. It's it's beautiful. I have a lot of feelings. Um, what else am I reading? Um, Flower Heart by Kat Bakewell is a beautiful YA fantasy. It's very cozy. It's very house moving castle, and it is just stunning. It's so it's so it just makes you feel good inside. <laughs> um, I'm a bad reader though this year. Um, I'm going to be better next year. Well, that's a good list. And and I have to say Philip Pullman's Dark Materials trilogy is one of my favorite oh, set so of books. Bad. Did you watch the series? No, I haven't. So I had such a bad experience with the movies. Did you see that? That's fair. It's so bad. It's so bad. But this is everything that it was supposed to be. 
Okay. Well, then I will so give I, it a shot. Yeah. I, I was like, I highly yeah. recommend it. Okay, good. I will give it a shot because, yeah, the movies are, I was like, these books are so much more. You missed the point. <laughs> I feel like we all got a little bit scarred with like the bad adaptations for a while, but I'm so mm-hmm. thrilled that they're like redoing them, especially like Percy Jackson and um, yeah, his dark materials. <laughs> they just need more space. You know, you can't cram all that into right. a short movie. Yes, true. Well, thank you so much for your time and listeners. The Kirkwood Public Library has both books here. So if you're looking to check them out, please come to the library. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was lovely. That's our show this week. Thank you so much for listening. Join us next week when we speak to Laura Sims about her book, How Can I Help You? Until next week.